the things that I've rebelled against all my life is this idea of being prescriptive. If anyone tells me there is only one way to do something, I will just be blown away. There's no sort of um, example as well of people like me, who look like me, sound like me, have my background. You don't feel like you have the access to the film and TV industry specifically. But there's already a glass ceiling. It's more keenly felt when you're a minority. Do people think that I'm just here because of my skin colour and then as a result you end up working twice as hard mm. and burning yourself out even more because you feel like you've got a point to prove. I um, was diagnosed with depression and that was all linked to me trying to come out to my family. I did go off the rails I, and I'm very open about my struggle. You know, I became a drug addict, I was in an abusive relationship. I'm so sick of this cycle mm. and what happened to me could happen to anyone else and I got so lucky that I survived. But rather than being like, oh, you know, looking down on it, I think we should embrace it. You know, change comes from struggle and resilience mm. and this is a really good example of that. My desire to do the right thing began to outweigh my fear of being punished for it. Mm. Because people are scared of being punished yeah. for speaking out. So today we have an amazing guest. Uh, I've known him recently, but every time I've spoken to him, it's been incredible. I'm very excited to welcome Adil. Adil is a series producer and has worked on shows like Catchphrase or 8 out, Eight out of 10 Cats and many amazing shows like that. He's also a committee member on BAFTA. So I'm pretty excited to welcome Adil, Adil Amini. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. That's all right. So tell me, uh, tell us about your origin story, well, your background, and where oh, did you God. grow up, and how did you get into the TV industry? I love the um, the phrase origin story because you think is it going to end up superhero, supervillain? <laughs> Probably the latter, if you depending on who you ask in the industry. We need a bit of both. Right? We do yeah. need a bit of both. Exactly. You know what, what's that phrase? You got to uh, you you sort of see, live long enough to see yourself as a villain or something. <laughs> I haven't got quite there yet. But, um, you know, we'll see. So my um, origin story is that I was born and raised in Bradford in quite a conservative uh, Muslim household um, and didn't really have any sort of idea of what I wanted to do, as most young people, um, you know, generally tend to feel. On top of all of that, um, one of the difficulties that I had growing up before I even got into this industry was um, being a gay man from such a background so of right. course that comes with its own layer of, of um, trauma and other things got a really gone straight into the heavy stuff on <laughs> the first question it's your story <laughs> um, it's all relevant um, so obviously I grew up with, with that kind of thing and, and I just knew that I wanted to be some sort of storyteller my natural instinct was to gravitate towards um, you know writing creative writing filmmaking in the bedroom like that kind of thing um, but it wasn't really considered a viable career for a number of reasons. One, because it's not a proper vocation. It's not um, being a lawyer or a doctor or all the things that your parents want you to do. Um, the other reason is because growing up in Bradford, you don't feel like you have the access to this industry, the film and TV industry specifically. Um, there's nothing that sort of says, oh, this you can do this thing and we can help you do it. There's no sort of um, example as well of people like me who look like me, sound like me, have my background, um, either on screen or off screen. There's just not enough examples of those kinds of people. So it didn't really feel like a viable thing. And then obviously I went over to uni, 
went to the University of Edinburgh, had a great time there, um, started discovering myself a little bit more, being away from home, um, studied English there. And then in 2008, when I graduated, um, I got onto a scheme at ITV and started my very wild TV career 14 oh. years ago. You said you got, went to uni. Yeah. And, you know, I, I speak to a lot of young people and a lot of them are actually considering not to go to uni. But if you had to go into the TV film industry today, do you need a degree? Does it help? And did it help you? Mm, the very short answer is no. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And for me, when I look back at those four years that I did in Edinburgh, um, they... I wouldn't change them for anything because I was someone who'd never really left home. I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. I needed the time, I think, to find myself. And that's what uni gave me. It also gave me great friendships, great experiences, um, you know, little jobs here and there. I used to edit the student newspaper, did some really big interviews um, as part of that. And again, it made me realise that I wanted to, you know, find out about people's stories and do all of that kind of thing. Um, so it wasn't, but when I joined the industry, no one really cares about your degree. Right. If you've got the experience and you know how to make a show, it doesn't, you know, we welcome a degree or, you know, it's nice to see if you've got like, you know, obviously more arts and media types end up coming into the industry. But if you've got a science degree, that could be like a gap of knowledge that, you know, we could, we could fill. So yeah, we, with the degree, it is, it's not essential. I think, there's the sort of personal deal and professional deal. Professional deal would be like, you don't really need it. You don't, you know, if you've got, you know, that thing, that X factor, the, the way to, you know, the, communicate with people, then it's fine. Personal deal, I would, I'm one of those people who doesn't put all their eggs in one basket. And you might get into this industry and you might find that it's not for you. You might find that freelancing isn't for you and it's difficult or it's just not what you want to do. And I just really, I hedged my bet. I wanted something to fall back on. And that was my degree. So I've still got that. And if mm. I decide to leave this, you know, industry, I, at least I know that I've got something that I can rely on. Because people do leave this industry. It's not permanent. You know, things happen. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's important to just shore yourself up mm. a little bit. Yeah. I think it's one of those uh, um, things that, you know, you, you're not a surgeon, neither am I. <laughs> so you don't need to go through, you know, that technical training. Yeah. Of course, you know, operating a camera, for example, you yeah. do need that technical training, but you can learn on the job is what you're saying, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think you would probably learn more on the job than I'm not, you know, disparaging any of the courses that happen. But sure. I think field learning in our industry, there is so much that because I didn't even do a media degree. That was the thing. So I went in and I didn't know any of this equipment, didn't know any of what, you know, what works in a gallery, what the roles were. Mm. So for me, it was a little bit like, okay, I have to learn all of this on the job and you just pick up little conversations here and there. And that's a sad thing in a way because there's no also like any formal training. Mm. So when new people now join, I make it a point to be like, you probably don't know what that is because I didn't when I joined. And for me, it's now about paying it forward. But I can't believe it's taken our industry so long to sort of get that attitude. There's a lot of people who think, oh, I went through that. No one taught me you're on your own. And I just kind of think, well, we've got to break that cycle and we've mm. got to help other people because, you know, the young people are the ones who are going to take over from, from us. And I want to make sure that I give them all of the things that I know and hopefully get them there quicker 
than me having to like second guess or, or right. all of that. So it's also about creating an environment where if somebody hasn't had that training, that you give them the freedom to ask questions. And, you know, any job that you go to, I just find it baffling. Like any industry, any, you know, uh, creative side of things. Tell me one person who's walked into that job and known everything. No one has. So no. why would you want to put that? Like, again, I just think the empathy side of things, I would want somebody to feel a little bit yeah. less like I did when I first joined. I think it's the society pressures, right? Or the industry pressure that, you know, you have to do X, mm. the expectation that, oh, you must go to uni and then you need to do this and that. And and so when you don't do that, it feels wrong, but it shouldn't feel wrong because, you know, you can land a job. Yeah. You can, you know, leap forward. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go through a specific path, right? You can create your own path in a way. No, that's it. And I think one of the things that I've rebelled against all my life is this idea of being prescriptive. If anyone tells me there is only one way to do something, I will just like I just will just be blown away to be like, hang on, you don't know that. And yes, that might have been the way that you've done it. And don't get me wrong, obviously, someone talks about surgery and whatever. Yeah, fine. But in the creative field, if you say, no, there's only one way to do this. This is how it's done. You've got to do this, this and this. I'll be like, no, because I my background and my route into TV would be completely different. Probably even from if you, you picked out and I know other Muslims from Bradford who have gotten in TV, their experience has been totally different to mine. Right. So even if you're from the same demographic, you don't have the same route. And I think what I really enjoy is um, breaking out of this sort of prescriptive and, you know, again, this sort of imagined or like, you know, prescribed. What I like is breaking out of this, um, you know, pressure and, and this thing of like this rigid structure Any in any sort of society, in right. any sort of field, you know, racism, um, transphobia, all of these things. Uh, gay rights as well they're all about breaking out of what people have said is acceptable and isn't right. and I apply that to work I apply it to everything I apply it to you know one of the things I say to people is just question everything and get to your own conclusions with it and if something doesn't feel right then mm. you know follow that instinct um, but certainly in this regard what I really like and it does bother people in TV a little bit because they're like oh, young people aren't watching TV anymore and they're not doing this and, you know, how do we compete with, like, Netflix and stuff? And I'm like, you need to chill. There is room for everyone. Right. There's um, a lot... We have to look at ourselves and move with what is going on because the world ain't going to stop. And again, if you stay too rigid, you're going to get left behind. So I think right. as an industry, we've got a really interesting challenge as well. But I really like the fact that young people can now, you know, become... YouTubers, TikTokers, all of these things that were just never there when I was growing yeah. up. But rather than being like, oh, you know, looking down on it, I think we should embrace it. Embrace and it, yeah. yeah, let everyone find their own path because yeah. I think true storytelling and content will find a way and it'll find an audience. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of, um, f f I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a lot of freelancers in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. TV industry. Yeah. And it comes. 70% comes... freelance. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. There's uh, there's a lot of pressure, a mental health pressure that comes with it, right? Because you're jumping from one to another and you have to find the next thing and the next thing, right? T tell me about your experience about facing mental health issues. And I know you created TV Mindset to support, you know, not only kind of 
the immediate colleagues but at the industry uh, with mental health issues would love to know a bit more about your experience but also tv mindset organization that you set up sure so mental health has been a huge thing in my life um when i was at uni i um was diagnosed with depression and that was all linked to me trying to come out to my family and all that stuff and then later on in my 20s as well i was sort of re-diagnosed or there was something not quite right and this was you know outside of work stuff um and then just as a i mean there's a probably a trigger warning to be attached to this but i ended up um being misdiagnosed basically for 10 years and i was told that i had something called borderline personality disorder which is apparently what amy winehouse and a few other people have had and, and um, it's now becoming a little bit more commonly discussed but at the time you know this was when I was 30 so 2015 2016 um, I just didn't know what to do with that and I did go off the rails I and I'm very open about my struggles um, you know I became a drug addict I was in an abusive relationship I just wasn't in a position where I was um, wanting to be on this planet and I think I was probably one bad decision away from not being here today and I you know was so lucky to get the help that I needed the therapy you know I left my job went back to Bradford you know had a really supportive family uh, didn't ask questions and I just needed the space to sort of get back on track and then when I did I realized that a lot of what I was going through not wasn't necessarily because of being freelance, but it certainly didn't help someone like me because BPD is a condition of extremes as well and highs and lows. And that is what freelance life is like. It's feast or famine, as we say in the industry as well. Right. You are either, you know, constantly busy. And when you're at work, you're working all these long hours, sometimes weekends. You're putting everything into it because you want to be hyper perfect at your job. Because if you do a good job, someone you know, someone on that production will probably have you back, and you've just got to be on. You stop taking sick days. You don't ask for your you know weekly therapy sessions. You uh, you know for for um, parents childcare. You you say oh you know you think. And some people don't get me wrong, and and that's why we're in this position. I think not just in our industry. Some people will look at you and be like oh. They leave at 5 p.m. every day to pick up their kid. Are they committed to the job? Oh, they need flexible working. And it's like, that's one of the great things of this pandemic is that it's really leveled everything out. It's like, yes, you can. I've made 100 hours of TV from home in the first year of the pandemic. Yeah. So it was like, don't tell me we can't do this. Or if somebody needs like access or an interpreter at work, why can't we? That doesn't make them any mm. less good at their job, but we should be able to accommodate that kind of thing. So... TV Mindset was formed a couple of years after my recovery. Um, I was, you know, basically balancing myself out. Um, and I just thought to myself, whatever I went through, because mental health wasn't spoken about, even though it doesn't seem that long ago, but 2015, 2016, people weren't talking about mental health. Really? It just wasn't a thing, in, certainly not in my industry. Um, but... All of the campaigns, you know, that you see recently, it just wasn't as prominent in the public yeah. forum. And as a freelancer, you couldn't talk about it anyway. It was hard enough. Look, the national crisis of mental health and talking, you know, that's why there's been so many campaigns in recent years. That was already existent. And then you look at that in the TV and, and freelance world and you realise that actually no one is willing to put themselves out there 
because mm. if an employer saw something of mine on social media would they think he's a liability he can't do his job he's got issues oh i'm not sure and then you don't and you end up just just yeah. sort of keeping it within you so with that i think one of the biggest things when you lose everything when you hit rock bottom mm. you stop giving a fuck basically right. and i think that has been the biggest sort of unlocking of my life um where i just stopped caring about what people at home thought of my sexuality what right. people in the gay world thought of my looks what people in tv thought about my mental health i was like do you know what i've been through this thing and i'm so sick of this cycle mm. and what happened to me could happen to anyone else and i got so lucky that i survived because not everyone does and i'll be really honest you know a lot of a lot of um what i do is obviously very personal but it hits you in different ways and and this easter just gone um my best friend of 16 years who didn't work in tv she took her own life sorry it happened and you know no matter how much we talk about mental health and she was so proud of my work mm. but it will affect everyone it will affect people in different ways and my thing was god how can i and i'm not obviously not there yet it's not that you know her issues were, were complicated and it doesn't all come down to one thing but you just think god i just want that person or any person out there whether it's someone i know or don't or anyone who's listening to this which is why i'm so open because yeah. it might just reach that one person who needs to hear it and and it has and I've, I've had some lovely feedback over the years but you just think god just please don't go through what i did to yeah. get to the realization no the pandemic was worse in itself but it feels like having spoken to so many guests on the show but also young people that it almost kind of resulted into a mental health pandemic mm. and it's increasing yeah. it's not decreasing yeah uh we had uh, one of our first guests um a father who lost his son uh in the middle of the pandemic um because of loneliness they were living by themselves 20 something mm. 24 23 i can't remember the exact age and they talked about uh they they needed help mm. and there isn't any help there is a generic phone line mm. where you call and they tried uh, but tested it and you you were waiting on the phone for 10 <coughs> minutes mm. so imagine if you're on the edge about yeah. to jump yeah you're not going to wait 10 minutes no uh, so i'm hoping you know they they have a campaign running to uh get a dedicated phone line for young adults mm. specifically for mental health and suicide prevention. Yeah. So I'm hoping that goes through. Uh but it is a big issue. It's industry. a huge issue and I think what you find going back to the question about being freelance is that you do feel quite alone. There's when when the phone isn't ringing, you mm. just think oh my god there's something wrong with me or you know oh all these people on social media seem to be getting jobs and I'm not getting them. I wonder why. you're constantly knocking on doors which is so degrading if you've been in this industry over 10 years and you think oh my god i'm still having to like put my cv out surely it should get easier and it doesn't you know the whole thing about you know again being hyper perfect and not just being able to express your emotions right the film and tv charity they do some great work that's that's their name the film and tv charity and they did a survey um around 26 no sorry 2019 just before the pandemic which i helped them a lot with and um they their survey was so eye opening for this industry and again it just before the pandemic so it all dovetailed and my work and right. their work and you know there's a reason it resonated with so many people um but they found out that in the tv industry 86% um of people had 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 suffered from poor mental health 
Wow. 86%. Uh, 50% had had suicidal thoughts and one in 10 had acted on it. And I was obviously one of those. Um, wow. But those stats are shocking for our industry. Yeah. They've improved over the did, did film and TV charity constantly update their surveys and they have improved. But the fact that we were in that position to begin with mm. was so harrowing and so upsetting. And, and you just think it made me angry as well. Mm. And again, it's just one of those things where you know, look, I don't believe I mean, it's a mixture of things. You know, there's the right being the right voice at the right time. But change sure. is like it's, you know, from everyone. Mm. I can't. I know I've done a lot for this industry and I've been a very loud voice because that's just who I am. Um, And and I just genuinely thought I had nothing left to lose. I was like, look, I've lost my job already. I've lost everything. But if me doing the right thing is, you know, the thing that might just make a difference, I might leave this planet. Exactly. Having used my experiences to help other people, then that makes all of it worth it. You know, I'm never going to get those years back. I wish I could. Mm. But actually, I do say to people my life started at the age of 30 because that's when I found all of this out. Yeah. I got the help that I needed. But I, I think that the way that I always put it when it comes to speaking up and, and talking about it is um, my desire to do the right thing began to outweigh my fear of being punished for it mm. because people are scared of being punished yeah. for speaking out. Oh, which is where they don't speak out, right? Because it's yeah. like, oh, my career is going get, to get ruined. And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, we see cancel culture very very much in this day and age mm. um, many for the right reasons but some for the wrong reasons mm. and people just fear they're going to get cancelled and their life is going to ruin, get ruined and it's especially if you if you have you know kids or family mm. to support they just don't speak out they just suck it up basically it's a weird one with with cuz i think i have i've benefited from cancel culture sure. because which is the good side of things made right? a difference cuz what we did and the empowerment that, that, you know, I had over the pandemic and the mm. webinars we were doing and every time, you know, someone would report something to me and I'd be like, okay, I've got to be careful legally here, but I can do something about this. Yeah. And honestly, I just, it was people power in action mm. because people saw what was going on and we were talking about it and we sometimes didn't even mention the company or the person, but these huge shows where bullying and harassment was going on, it was a huge show where there was some racist incident wow. and we were able to give a community voice without actually naming people because obviously I would have gotten into trouble and then before you know it I was getting calls from the broadcasters and, and whatever and that those people were removed and then there were articles about oh so and so has been let go or like this bullying case has come up against this person and I think what that has led companies to to now you know where we're at now is is that they are scared of being cancelled right and I think cancel culture is a really interesting one because it is about power structures. Mm. I know people say, oh, cancel this, this, this. No, no, it's about holding people with power to account. Absolutely. And that is what we did. And, you know, I had a huge, I can't talk about it too much because um, I did uh, on on, a, on the stage once and they had to cut it out because they were like, defamation. But I was like, look, it's a thing that <laughs> happened. Like, you could look it up. It's not defamation. Um, but I had a huge run-in. If you Google my name, one of the first things that comes up is a huge run-in with a very famous TV presenter. And there was a huge row in public um, that ended up uh, developing into like a bullying and harassment thing. Um, and again, I sort of ended up coming on top of that. And I wouldn't say winning, because I don't like looking at it that way, but it, in terms of, yeah. I've you know, it's, it's a step towards the right thing, right? Yeah. And that person 
didn't come off very well. They're very well known. They left their, their broadcaster a couple of weeks after. And again, it was that thing of like, you've got the right thing. You've got the right intention. And if somebody comes for that, mm. I was so lucky. I had a groundswell of like freelancers. But again, it's that thing of like, it's holding people accountable. And now companies are scared of, of mistreating their freelancers because they know yeah. that we won't be quiet anymore. Yeah. And we deserve to go to work with dignity and respect. And I think everyone does. And they can't hide behind anything anymore. Before it was all swept on the carpet. They thought, oh, that freelancer's not going to talk about that thing. And that is especially, um, it's, it's more keenly felt when you're a minority. You don't want to be that difficult person of colour because you're like, oh, you know, here comes, here he comes, you know, talking about race issues again. Yeah. Why is everything about race? Or, you know, you're that person who is disabled and, uh, oh, great, you're, you know, and I've got friends who run campaign groups about disability in the industry. And again, you do worry that your career is going to suffer. There's already a glass ceiling yeah. for people um, from minorities anyway. Um, but you, you then worry even more, like, I'm already disadvantaged in this industry. If I start speaking out for things that affect me, yeah. then that could hit me even harder. But then you sort of take a step back and think, well, if I don't do it, who's going to? Because I'm not going to expect some white privileged people to speak about my issues because A, they don't know, B, they don't care. So I just have to do it myself. Right. So speaking of racism, um, I see you've got 37 jobs on LinkedIn. I can see all <laughs> glam from outside that you're working with all these amazing people, celebrities and shows. But I'm sure there's, you know, from the inside is different. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I say different, I mean discrimination. Yeah. Right. And I know we spoke before and you mentioned just now as well that, you know, there's racism in the industry. Tell us a bit more about that. And did you experience that yourself? Did you see others, of course? And what, what do you do about that? Um, I mean, again, short answer, yes, that it is rife. Um, find me an industry that racism isn't present in. Um, the way that I always look at it is obviously there's there's the overt racism which is you know obviously being called a certain name or you know having that sort of very open description discrimination which of course is illegal um but it happens and there's the covert racism where a lot of people hold their hands up particularly in this industry and like i can't i can't be racist you know what just because you've never said the n-word or the p-word you think you're not racist no we're talking about structures here and everything mm. that i do is all about structures and looking at stepping back and looking at the big picture and the truth is, every industry in this country, apart from maybe some of the more modern ones, but I would say all of the major industries in this country were formed at a time when the dominant uh, social group was, uh, you know, white middle class males. So ultimately, all of the structures and the things and the foundations that we live around are generally uh, there to benefit those people. So if you are, uh, you know, a woman in the industry, you know, we know what women have been through, um, you know, even when it comes to as recently as Me Too, which was obviously yep. from the TV and film industry. Um, you look at um, people from, you know, we look at the BLM movement and how everyone's stories came out from that. So every minority, I'm pretty sure, and every person of colour has a story in TV, um, and I'm sure they do outside as well, but we all have a story. And we've all probably had a moment where we've decided to let it go because it's it's not worth it. You look around and, and when your industry is and has been for the most part predominantly white, if I look around, I'm like, well, who's going to believe me? Who's going to have my back? 
that person's not going to do it. They've got nothing at stake here. They're not going to speak up because I've just been experienced something racist. And that was the really interesting thing post BLM is like, yeah, but you're also complicit if you see this and you don't say anything that like we need allies and you can't just be a fair weather friend. You've got to do the work. So it is really difficult. And I'd like to say it's getting less. I certainly get fewer reports of racism. Um, uh, ableism, I still think, is a big issue that we need to deal with. Transphobia, I'm keeping an eye on because it's, it's yeah. again, another thing that worries me. Um, but it's all forms of discrimination, bullying and harassment as any, and everything. And I think to answer your, the other part of your question is that what do you do? It is kind of similar in all of those fronts. It's, it's really hard and it is very dependent on the situation and the person. I can't, in good conscience, again, say a junior member of the team who's experienced racism, if they're reporting to a white HR person about, you know, ultimately HR and a lot of those places are there to protect the company, not the individual. Sure. And certainly not a freelancer who's sort of come in, um, you know, for a couple of months and then left again. And so, again, our rights are quite, it's hard for us. Um, and we found that out during the pandemic when the government wasn't even willing to support freelancers and, and help them out financially. So we sort of live with that anyway. And you kind of just, I suppose it's, you know, it's no different to when you're on a bus and you see someone being harassed and you think, can I be bothered getting involved in that or not? And also the victim in that situation, they could fight back or they could mm. just ignore it and go away. And we've all been there, you know, in yeah. some form or other. And I think that's the negotiation you make at work, except you've probably got some bigger considerations because you think, well, this is my job, this is my livelihood, I can't lose this. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I have to just get my head down and again, no one's going to believe me or whatever. So we've had to, you know, until BLM, we had to push a lot of that down. And I think I'd like to say the tide is turning. I mm. do think there's some forms of covert racism that still exist in terms of the glass ceiling of the industry. And... I know full well from myself and my own career, from other people, uh, from black women, um, from, you know, people who from disadvantaged backgrounds, <coughs> um, that we tend to hover in the mid-range of the industry and very few tend to break through because that's where the real power, it, it, the shift is going to happen. When more of us are in those in those rooms where decisions are being made, mm. that is when it's going to happen. And then there's a mixture, you know, the people who do end up there. And, you know, look, every, no, there's no, nothing to say that every culture has to be a monolith, but I have found that, that there are people who go through those things and pull the ladder up behind them. So it's very easy for companies to say, we've got a, you know, person of colour in, in this position or whatever, but they're like, well, they're kind of upholding everything. Again, they're not shaking anything up because they've gotten through They've got this cushy job, but they're not willing to help or, or look at the landscape further on. So there is that side of it. But certainly I've found in my career and it's changing now. But again, I wonder, would I have got this if I hadn't had the profile with the campaigning? Mm. But I'm also really good at my job. I think I'd like to think that. But you always yeah. do question it. Again, the fact that I've even just said that mm. I, I'm, I'm now breaking through. But as a minority, I'm questioning, is that really because of my merit or is it because I've done campaigning and I've got a really loud voice? Right. Yeah. So we have that inner thing where we're just like, and I walk in and you have that look or whatever. And like, do people think that I'm just here because of my skin color? And then as a result, you end up working twice as hard mm. and burning yourself out even more because you feel like you've got a point to prove. I do feel like that 
equal opportunity is still a long way. Yeah. 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 We're not there yet. I think we're just, as you said, just starting to break through. Yeah. But there's a long, long way through. I, I, I mean, personally, I, I came to the country, UK, um, 17, 18 years ago. And pretty much for the first decade, I felt like, oh, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't say this. Or I don't deserve this because, you know, I'm new to this country. Uh, what do I know? Mm. So I always sort of, you know, uh, reserved myself mm. from saying the right things or, you know, going for the bigger jobs or asking for a little bit more salary because I feel like maybe I shouldn't. Maybe, you know, I don't I don't deserve this because, mm. you know, they're right. I'm wrong. But actually, it's not about that. It's about the merit. And it yeah. should be about merit. That yeah. if you are performing and if you are good at what you do, then you should be given equal opportunity. You should. It just doesn't work like that. It, it doesn't work it, like that. It doesn't, it's a long and, way to go. And if you do end up being um, quite confident the way that I I get, I do get called, you know, arrogant and egotistical. And I'm like, what? Because I know my worth? Because I'm not willing to negotiate for less than I think. And I've got a CV to back it up. Mm you know, you want to hire me, you've got to show me. And I, I say this when you're going for a job interview, it's like going on a date. Do I want to wake up next to this person every yeah. day? Is this person going to make me feel good about myself? And if the answer is no, then it's not for me. I'd rather say no to the job, but don't, you know, again, that thing is like, oh God, he's really big for his boots or he's arrogant or whatever. It's like, no, but I, where, where do, where's that line again of like, I've worked hard for 14 years. I deserve, yeah. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be, you know, a prick about it and be like, Oh my god, I'm too good for this or whatever. No, of course not. You work in a collaborative environment, but I think what you um, what you said earlier about about equality is really interesting because it, it is a word that that comes um, around a lot. And the EDI, mm -hmm. you know, sector now is so it's a huge buzzword. But for me, it is it's the word equity. Equity. And I've always said, you know, before we even get to what you have to realize that you know people like you and I, for example, compared to let's say um you know somebody with a disability or you know a trans person or a black woman there's different levels of equity and of each course. one needs a different approach so you can't you know people talk about things like you know unconscious hiring and like all of that stuff but it's like we can't really get there because we don't all have equity yet and when i formed um which i'm sure we'll talk about is a coalition for change and you know looking at all these groups in tv that were campaigning there is that phrase, isn't there? There's, um, and I, I do say this with, with, with my campaigning is that, you know, you want to fight for a seat at the table. Yeah. And my thing is that this table is busted. I don't want to sit at it. I want to make a brand new table and give everyone equity at it. And I'm really proud that we've done that. But I don't want I don't want a seat at that table because I, I believe that it's, it's built on a really false foundation. So you you can have that if you want. But this is what I want. This yeah. is what I want to put down. And if I've got the power to get people around a table, yeah. then I'm going to make it a different one. I yeah. don't want your one. Speaking of coalition for change, uh, it's sort of like the next step after TV mindset. Yes. And it's an industry roundtable yeah. of you know broadcasters, various people in the industry coming together to make a difference. Mm. Has it made a difference so far? I, I, I know it's fairly new-ish. But what are the key initiatives that you're working on at the moment, and what would be what would be the sort of like the holy grail that you would like to achieve as a as a group? Sure. So with the coalition for change, it was the culmination of all the campaigning I was doing during the pandemic, and it's all well and good talking about these things. But my worry was, well, what if we don't get any action, and if we uh, all end up going back to work, and nothing changes? I was like, I cannot have that. 
So with the help of the Edinburgh TV Festival, um, we started doing a couple of more public roundtables with broadcasters. And initially what I wanted them to sign up to was a freelance charter, like you will do this, this and this. Freelancers will have these rights, blah, blah, blah. Legally, we couldn't do that. It was a very hard thing to get. All of these broadcasters who'd never historically work with each other. You know, I was making phone calls and saying, look, you know, this is something. And they were like, well, what's in it for you? This is weird. This is suspicious. What's going on? And I'm like, oh, my God, trying to do the just right thing. to do the right thing. It's like... just, and it was so hard. And again, mentally, I burnt out. I've gone through a lot, actually, through this campaigning. It's something I've not really talked about today. But, you know, the toll that has taken on me, mm. I've had to really reestablish my boundaries on a lot of fronts, including with fellow freelancers, mm. because you get into this position and you're just like, but I also need to have a job and a life and I need to work out, you know, yeah. I didn't get into this. So we'll, and that'll lead to the Holy Grail question later. But with the coalition, then it was like, right, we need to get everyone in this industry together because it's very fractured. You know, Sky doesn't know what BBC are doing or they've all got their own initiatives. Uh, the union, Beck2, are doing something different to the film and TV charity. And it's like, we just need to get together, Come together because we all employ freelancers and we're all interested in that. And those are the, the most vulnerable group and they make up the largest part of the workforce. So why are we not talking? Like, I'm, I'm, I got really bored of like, oh, well, that person said this. And it's like, you just need to get into a room and thrash it out. Yeah. So we were really lucky. Everyone, after a lot of door knocking and all of that stuff, everyone signed up to it. I think we've got now 40 organisations. Amazing. Um, so BBC, ITV, Channel 4, um, Viacom, CBS, Channel 5, Netflix, Amazon, uh, BAFTA, BFI, Ofcom, uh, film and TV charity, loads of unions, Equity, Direct East UK. It's huge. And I'm so proud of it that this little kid from Bradford, this little awkward gay kid from Bradford has somehow made enough of a noise that my experience has actually meant something that I, I could raise this. And we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago and it was, I, they was like, oh, is there anything else you want to add to deal? And I was like, yeah, I just want us all to know that I'm really proud of this two years down the line we are such a unique group that other industries are now wanting to follow this model. And I'm so proud that we are here to make positive change. Initially, it was really difficult. The first year that we did, we did quarterly meetings and we had a big topic for each one, like bullying and harassment, uh, training or lack of training. Um, I think the next one was like recruitment and right. how that happens in the industry. And again, there was a lot of, you know, fractious dis discussion and people not agreeing with each other, but my job was to just chair it and cut through yep. and find those commonalities and bring, again, it's all about coalition um, and, and just finding those those nuggets and the through lines that would make people happy. Yeah. And then what we ended up doing, and are certainly our biggest success so far that we need to build on, is we launched something called the Freelance Charter, which people can view uh, if you go to coalitionforchange.org.uk, um, our website, you can see the Freelance Charter. And it is a quite a hefty document that sets out all of those sections and what this, what each member of the coalition who signed up to it pledges to do. So it's commissioning behaviour, how your producers, you expect your producers to behave, how your commissioners behave, how we expect to treat freelancers, <coughs> training opportunities, um, what to do with bullying and harassment. And then there's a guide of like a whole directory of like where to go with this, this happens and whatever. Because right. we didn't want to, you know, there are talks about an independent reporting body and things like that in TV, which would be great. But we couldn't do that at this point, And I'm only one person. But what we could do is is strengthen our existing structures. And it's a real statement of intent from everyone in that group 
and as an industry we're united and we're like this is the industry we yeah, want to create that's amazing this is what we support yeah and the holy grail for it all would be for me to shut it down yeah i don't because it normalizes the the need a hundred percent i don't want to have to do this work yeah, exactly. and it shouldn't have fallen on to a minority with yeah. a lot at stake to do this i did it i've got a responsibility yeah. but honestly my greatest dream is that i don't have to do it anymore because it means we're in a good enough it's amazing yeah you know change comes from struggle and resilience mm. and this is a really good example of that i really really love that so thank you for sharing no one tells you how bloody hard it is though let me tell no, you it's like no, it the cost i wish i'd known a lot back then than i you know yeah i, w- I really do, do because it, it is i can't lots of lovely things have happened but of course behind the scenes it's also very very course, difficult yeah 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 we talked about you know freelance jobs you know jumping from one to another we talked about racism we talked about mental health issues we talked about the industry needing a change but if you're a one what a young person trying to get into this industry is there are there any positives what are the positives they look i wouldn't be here and a lot of us who are campaigning wouldn't be here if we didn't love what we did and we didn't believe in this industry and there are people who don't and you know one you get to like you know your mid 30s and one you have one more racist incident and you're just like you know what i can't do this anymore i'm out i just can't put myself through this and it is that still happens and minorities are usually the first to leave but we love this industry and it is i have so i'm so lucky that i get to do this job for a living um you know through the pandemic we did entertain millions of people we are, are telling stories we are improving the you know we we're adding to the economy um everything that people talk about it is about the new netflix series it is about something that was on tv last night and no one really thinks about the people who make it but we know that we do you know there's it might a light entertainment might be you know just as valid as a bafta winning documentary yeah. as how i see it i don't really care like we're just giving people content we're telling stories and more importantly as time goes on we are telling stories from voices that have not historically been listened to yeah. and again i think that's why it's so important that we constantly have people coming into this industry but also people with different viewpoints yeah because otherwise we're just doing the same stuff over and over again so there is a lot of positivity there's so much every part of my team that i put together whether it's you know the runner or the sound tech or in studio you know mm-hmm. the camera op, we are everyone makes those shows yeah. and it's just such a wonderful example of collaboration and what we can all do and how we all work together yeah. to produce something really fun and wonderful for a lot of people um i just think we should be able to do it with a bit of dignity and respect 100% yeah. yeah what's your favorite netflix or any any content that you really love at the moment it's the white lotus series 2 right. um which is i so i find it really difficult to watch um like factual or entertainment stuff or quiz shows because i work on them so for me it's like going to work yeah. so i end up defaulting a lot to drama and comedy scripted stuff because i don't work in those industries i don't really yeah. know how it's made so that's my escapism and i love you know i love stuff like um the good fight um the white yeah the white lotus um some good comedies you know on netflix as well just yeah. anything like kim's convenience was a, yes. was my my binge watch during um the pandemic so anything yeah on on that kind of front is always yeah. succession obviously everyone is talking yeah yeah so stuff like that i i absolutely love and it's just one of the joys of being part of bafta as well yeah. is that you know you get the insight and you get to you know champion a lot of this yeah. this work 
Amazing. Uh, I mean, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> you have such a amazing energy, honestly. Oh, thank uh, you. But you know, I, I, we have to end it somewhere. So yes. uh, one of the last questions that I ask the guest is, um, if you were young again, what would be your message to yourself? What would be uh, the you know the advice to give yourself? So dear Adil. Mm. I this is really hard. It's 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 also really hard to talk about without getting a bit emotional. Um so before I, I, I do say it, I think I think, you know, obviously we've we've talked about it a little bit, but that younger self, I, I really feel for that kid because it it was it is tough. You know, mm. growing in up in an environment where everything you feel and believe is wrong, uh, or you're being made to feel every corner and this is what i always say like with with in fact i will start um you know so the the thing i would say to my you know younger self is be the most authentically unapologetically you and be that person quicker <laughs> because at every corner of life whether it's because you're a brown-skinned man whether it's because you're gay whether it's because you're muslim in this country whether it's the fact that you're a northerner in TV with no background, or whether it's because you've got mental health uh, issues, whether it's because you're a campaigner. But I've never done anything by the book, and I've not even planned to. I've just been this person. And for some reason, at every corner, every juncture, the world has made me feel like I don't deserve to be here. And again, when I went to rock bottom and I did everything that everyone expected of me, and I still ended up there, I was like, this isn't fair. So I would, what I would want to, to give that younger version of me is that sense of people are going to hate you no, no matter what. And yes, you do need to go on this journey, but don't shrink yourself. Don't constantly try and fit into a box because what you have done, breaking out of the box has been the best thing that you have done. And the, the nicest thing about it is I've not had to be anyone other than me. And it's taken me a really long time to fall in love with myself, physically, emotionally, balancing the mental health. And I, I look in the mirror and I bounce out of bed because I'm so lucky to be here. And I want everyone to fall in love with themselves in that way, have that confidence, realize they deserve to be here. I couldn't do it for my best friend, but I know that there'll be someone out there that that does resonate with. And, and, and just know that being authentically you you can never apologize for that. You can never feel guilty for that. It might not be to everyone's taste. And again, you might fall into all of these categories. But for my younger self, I'd be like, be who you are. Don't let anyone tell you who you are and who you're not. And carry on on that course. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all the amazing insights. Thank you for sharing your personal story. And thank you for making a difference in the industry. Thank Good you luck. very much. I'm going to shake your hand. <laughs>